gentlemen, welcome back to another exciting episode of the Anthology of Horror. I am your host, Spring Heel Jack, and today I'm going to be doing a compilation of short and terrifying stories. Uh, I am guaranteed by the sources online that they are terrifying and potentially heart-stopping, and as always, I will be reading them for the first time with all of you. Thank you to all repeat listeners for tuning back in, and welcome new listeners. If this is your first episode, please let me take this time to give you a disclaimer of... This podcast is not going to be safe for work. It's not going to be safe for your kids. It's definitely not going to be something you'd want to show your mom or cite as a source for a school project. It's quite offensive at times, I'm told, and uh, I would like to give you a warning before you get offended. So I tend to swear a lot. I tend to make crude jokes a lot. Try to stay away from politics, though. I do have that going for me. And uh, that's it. That's your warning. So if you don't like it, then you can eat my asshole. And uh, I'll give you the next couple of seconds to scramble and turn this podcast off. It should also be said that all commercials on this show are fake and they're comedy skits and that they're also property, creatively and whatnot, of Rockstar Games. I just use them to break up the show because I hate the sound of my own voice after a while. Because I spend the entire day talking to myself anyway, listening to me recording myself is agonizing at times. With that being said, let's get this show kicked off good and proper with a fake, uh, a fake commercial from a company that doesn't exist and also does not sponsor me. Alcoholics! That's the drink of the streets! Alcoholics! What's up? For real, motherfuckers. You being marketed at now, homie! A combination of everything that makes a memorable evening. Malt liquor and caffeine. Malt liquor. Malt liquor, caffeine. Janky than a motherfucker. It's just a little cuckoo pony. It's a good time blackout in a can. What's up? You blacking out, asshole. I'm blacking out. Alcoholic keeps the party going. Even if you won't remember any of it. That's what's up. So if you're anything like me, you're getting tired of all the classic ghost stories and you start getting burned out and like numb to all the the scary fucking simple ass creepy pastas that all have the same reoccurring theme and like crafty one liners at the end of them. Uh, but at some point we feel that we need to step up the scare factor, which I did. I've actually felt that for a few years. If I feel something other than fucking misery, it'll be a goddamn miracle, but... So I braved the deepest, darkest threads of Reddit to find the scariest ghost stories ever. The ones that were straight from those that have experienced the paranormal activity firsthand, allegedly. Uh, I've also included two stories in this list that it was promised would make us rethink everything we believed. So, we'll see. Ghost stories are the best subgenre of horror because they meet an intersection of entertainment, belief, and fear of the unknown. And the ones that I'm about to read to you, supposedly, will do it justice. These, according to the Reddit post, are true ghost stories as best as anybody could, could figure. And uh, I hope we can be prepared to have some goosebumps and chills. As I said before, I've never read these, so if they suck, you'll know it when I know it. But they shouldn't. I'm, I spend a decent amount of time finding like the asshole of Reddit, so hopefully we'll not be disappointed. This one's called Doppelganger. 
as told by Reddit user QuietVoice4846. Late at night, I usually go to the bathroom multiple times, but for the past four days, every time I go, every time I go to leave, I can see myself still standing in the mirror from the corner of my eye. It's like the other me is watching me leave for the shitter. It terrifies me to the point where I almost run out without looking directly at the mirror. I've never told my husband about it because I don't want to acknowledge it out loud. Earlier today, I took a nap in our bed, and well, he sat in the chair next to the t- next to it watching TV. Uh, when I woke up, he told me that he had seen me sit up and crawl backwards to the edge of the bed and stand up in front of our bedroom door, and from the corner of his eye, he thought it was weird that I got up like that because I'm in my last month of pregnancy and I can't really move so good without hurting, so he tried talking to me. When I didn't answer, he looked at the door to find me not there and still sleeping in bed. And then I got really creeped out and I finally told him about what I've been seeing in the bathroom. He thought it was creepy as well, but didn't want to really talk about it anymore because he thinks it will give whatever it is power or energy. I have no idea what it wants or why we both saw it. That's it. Why you fucking asshole? Tease. I hated tease, man. Especially a story tease. Those are the worst kind. I'm rich, successful, and throwing it all away on multiple women. I'm drowning in pussy. It's terrible. Sounds like a serious case of sex addiction. Buy my book, 13 Steps to Heaven, today. 13 Steps to Heaven. Available in the discount bin at bookstores everywhere. Fly US, now serving 42 new destinations worldwide. Travel like a real man again, drunk and waited on by depressed women at 35,000 feet. Fly US, sit back, relax, and shut up. Mm-hmm. This next one is called Haunted Hotels, as told by Reddit user Bright Eyes 10 When I was 15, I traveled to Europe with my family. We stayed in Etal, Germany. In a small inn for a few nights, my parents had a double bed. Oh, God, that's miserable. On the second floor, my sister has the double bedroom next to theirs. And I was lucky enough to have a single room all to myself at the far end of the hall. When we went to check into our rooms, as soon as I entered the hallway, our rooms were in, I remember almost feeling as though I walked into a wall of uh, bad energy. I just felt so unnerved and uneasy in that hallway, but it passed. Uh, I passed it off as an overactive imagination. I slept the first night without any issues other than waking up a few times to urinate. And the next morning at breakfast, one of my sisters mentioned feeling extremely uncomfortable in the hallway, almost as if the air was crushing. And that unnerved me more than I was, uh, I wasn't the only one who felt it. Plus, she was an adult at the time, so it further cemented in my head that that wing of the hotel was weird. Later that night, as I was sleeping peacefully, at about 2 a.m., I was woken up by something ripping the covers off me and being jerked about two feet towards the end of my bed by my ankles. At first, I thought somebody had broken into my room because when I turned towards what had grabbed me, a huge looming black shape was visible in the darkness, like a huge man in my room. I frantically flipped the light on only to find that there was nothing there. The window was locked from the inside and there was no one in the closet or the bathroom, and my room was also still locked from the inside. I stayed up the rest of the night, scared, playing Cooking Mama on my DS. What the fuck is that? The next morning, we're at breakfast, and my sister mentions that she was half, she was up half the night because she thought she saw a person silhouetted against the wall of her room. But then she turned on the light, and there was nobody there. 
it was just bizarre and creepy. So we checked out that day. Uh, I didn't get to experience anything after that, but it still freaks me out. <laughs> Spooky. This next one's called The Rocking Horse. As told by Reddit user, Harry Said. One night, when I was maybe 10 or 12, I had trouble falling asleep. My bedroom was the entire top floor of our house, uh, with my bed and such being on the left side and the storage closet in the play area on the right. I was lying in bed when I heard a noise from the other side of the room and saw a rocking horse begin to rock. We've heard this before. It was sitting just outside one of the storage closet doors. It rocked halfway across the room and stopped under the ceiling light. At this point, I was scared, and I buried my head in my blankets and never peeked out until morning. So when I woke up, the rocking horse was in the middle of the room. Furthermore, I got a stern reprimand from my parents for being up and out of bed, playing with my toys past my bedtime. Their bedroom was directly below the storage closet and had heard the creaking and shuffling. Yeah, yeah, we've, we've heard you before, fucker. Here is Point Mystic, as told by Reddit user Fuzzy Bandits. When I was a teenager, I used to babysit my bitch cousin, Alyssa. She was little, maybe two, maybe a little older, old enough to say sentences and be fucking annoying. So I'm giving her a bath before bed, and when she looks out into the hallway, she gets this terrified look on her face and starts screaming. At this moment, my aunt's Pomeranian starts going nuts as well, barking and growling at nothing in the hallway. The atmosphere in the room became kind of uncomfortable, and I started to get scared, so I took her downstairs from the third floor in the townhouse to try to calm her down, and I asked her what was wrong. She said something along the lines of, the man with the black eyes was there. When I continued to pry, she looked up at the second, the second floor stairs, and her eyes got big, and she looked at me, bringing her finger up to her mouth and said, shh, while shaking her head, saying, no. Yikes. Okay, that gave me chills a little bit. Man enough to admit it, this one's called The Trickster. As told by Reddit user Scarlet Beeswax, I lived in this house with a basement, and every time I walked up the stairs, I would get this weird, creepy goosebump feeling on the back of my neck. It didn't make me uneasy to go downstairs or to the basement. Or to be in the basement, rather. My craft room was down there, and I spent a lot of time down there. After a while, I would have, I would have items I was using disappear... And when I would look away from them uh, the same day. So I would search and search and search. And one day I got frustrated. And to no one in particular, I said, Arg, can I please have my skizzers back? I just looked under a pile of new mail. And when I turned my head, there were scissors on top of the pile of mail. Oh, shit. I talked to my neighbor. And she told me that the original owner of the house was a jolly old man who loved to prank people. And that he had fallen coming up the stairs one day and died. Oh, I think the goosebumps were him trying to tell me to be careful. And every time after that, when something would disappear, I would politely ask for it back and it would appear in a place that I could not have missed it before. Thanks, old man. It was fun. Well, that's sweet. Women, dieting is so hard. There are lots of delivery diets that deliver food each day, but don't stop you from cheating. Isn't it time you try something just a little different? At Vinewood Health, we not only give you the carrot, we also give you the stick. Our trained counselors spend the day with you to offer the guidance and reassurance to keep you on the right track. You're gonna eat that, you fucking pig! You disgust me! With their firm but encouraging guidance, the truth thinner you will soon emerge. Paranoid, neurotic, and the proud owner of a new food disorder. You have to associate food with pain and a beating. Food is your enemy! 
way! Defeat it! You have no self-control. Thanks to us, all you need is self-loathing. Vinewood Health. Beauty inside and out. Or your money back. You fat whore! Contact Vinewood Health today. This next one's called Unwanted Tenants. As told by Reddit user, Vanilla Gorilla. Wow. My daughter was four years old when we lived in our last home. I was a single mom at the time, so it was just she and I alone in the home. I always got uncomfortable feelings in her room, particularly the closet area, but never thought much of it until one evening. I had put her to bed, and as I was doing chores, I walked by her room and heard whispering, jump off the bridge, jump off the bridge, jump off the bridge. I listened for a bit, thinking she was talking to herself, but it was definitely a two-way conversation with her saying, okay, I'll jump off the bridge, stuff like that. Uh, So I walked in and asked her who she was talking to. She smiled awkwardly and said, no one. I took her out of the hall and she wouldn't say anything, but I could tell that she was afraid. Finally, we went outside of the house and she said there was a man in her room who didn't want us in the house. And he told her this and to tell her mom to leave. So I moved us out a month later and she has not ever had an instance like this again. Jump off the bridge, jump off the bridge, jump off the bridge. This one's called Family Reunion. As told by Reddit user Big Chala. One day, when my daughter was two, we were having a typical terrible twos moment. She was throwing a bit of a tantrum for about five to ten minutes, and we could not get her under control. At some point, she rather suddenly stopped and started staring at the wall. She then started lightly giggling. It was weird, and one second she was crying and screaming, the next she's smiling and happy. Then she starts saying, funny lady, over and over. We asked her who she saw, and she pointed at the wall and said, the funny lady. When we asked her to describe who she saw, she described my dead grandma. I mean, described her. She had never met her, and I don't think she'd even seen a picture. Not that a two-year-old would remember a picture, even if she had. I'm not much of a believer in the paranormal, but I know for sure my daughter got a chance to meet my mom, and that makes me happy. When I told the story to my parents, they they, they didn't seem as shocked as I was. When I tried to get a response from them, they looked at me and said, I guess you don't remember that you met your grandfather when you were three. The same thing happened to you 30 years ago. Oh, shit. That's a good one. All right, that one made my neck and the hair on it prickle. This one's called The Guardian, told by Snap Judgment. I had been on the phone with my then-boyfriend, and he said something that made me think. He was chauvinistic, not a nice person, and I remember telling him, that if he knew anything about me, he knew exactly where I was going to go. And I hung up the phone and got in my car and drove to the park. The sun was kind of down below the tree line, but it wasn't dark yet. And I pulled into a parking lot. I thought it was weird that there were two cars that pulled up side by side and started talking to each other. When I got out, the guy in the truck just stared at me in this awful fucking way. You know, when somebody looks at you like they're looking through you as if you don't exist... I thought, well, this is weird. It's late and nobody's ever here, and this guy's not even sexually harassing me. And then I thought, whatever. These gays are leaving. I don't care. I have my own problem. Huh. I only took my keys with me because I didn't want a big purse banging around. What? I headed across the field, which you have to cross through to get to the woods because there's no trail. And I was taking my time, you know, calming down, and then I realized it got really quiet. I didn't hear birds. I didn't hear squirrels. I just heard something huge moving through the woods. I thought to myself, maybe it's a bird or a plane. Maybe it's a dog. And then I heard the voices. The first voice is a male's voice, and it said, I know I saw her go this way. She couldn't have gotten that far. Then the second voice comes, and it's quieter and says, 
Shut the fuck up. She'll hear you. Okay, so there are two men in the woods, and they're looking for something, obviously. And I keep thinking it must be their dog. They must have lost their dog. And then I thought they wouldn't try to sneak up on their dog. So I stood there frozen because that's the kind of person I am. When going gets tough, I just stop moving. <laughs> well, you're dead in the event of the apocalypse, buddy. I could hear them getting closer to me. And I don't know how long I stood there waiting for them to get to me, but I was completely frozen. And then I heard the other voice. It was distorted, like if you hear somebody talking through a closed door underwater. You could understand what they were saying, but the voice wasn't right. And it wasn't in my head because it had a volume and a pitch that changed that my thoughts definitely don't do. I could almost feel where it was coming from. It was behind me and a little above like it was taller than me. And it just said, go to the river now. I don't know if I was more scared of the fact that there's some disembodied voice or a person talking to me or the fact that there were two men looking for me in the woods. So I listened to the voice because I didn't really have any other options. <laughs> I took off towards the river and I made a ton of noise because I was just going as fast as I could. And the voice came back and said, now quietly. I got to the river and jumped down the embankment and I squished myself against it, squeezing down into the smallest, tightest ball that I possibly could. The voice kept telling me to stay. I just sat there hoping whoever was in the woods was going to leave and that I wasn't having some kind of a psychiatric break. And I kept hearing them moving through the woods and I could hear, I could tell that they split up. As I sat there, the voice just kept telling me to stay calm and quiet over and over and over again like it was trying to comfort me. I could hear what sounded like somebody right above me and if I leaned out, they would be able to see me. But... I had to look. I just tilted my head up a tiny bit, and I could see the tips of the construction boots hanging over the edge of the embankment. And I could see, hanging next to them, this dirty old rope, just swinging next to them. I don't think I even thought anything of it. I was so scared. I just tried not to breathe, and it felt like hours, but I knew I couldn't have been that long. The voice was completely silent. Uh, there was nothing but me hearing this man breathing. He started to walk away at some point, and the voice kept telling me to wait, so I waited. And finally, the voice said, Go now to the field. Go now. It was screaming at me so loud, so I ran through the woods and just got out to the field, far from the cars and the street, and it was it was getting dark, and I could see the parking lot, but it was still far away, so I'm sprinting, and I hear footsteps running at first, and they're farther away, but they're a lot faster than me, barreling after me. And then there was nothing. I fully expected to see at least one of the men, but it was silent. The only thing I could think was that the footsteps must have belonged to that voice, and I heard it again screaming at the top of its lungs that I need to run right now. And the footsteps came back, and they're in pace with mine, running next to me through the field. I had a thousand crazy thoughts because none of them made any fucking sense. Finally, I got to my car. I see both the cars were parked in different places with nobody in them, so I refused to look behind me. If there hadn't been a voice, I probably would be a missing persons case. It got me out of there. Uh... The video game of the year. Roger that, Bravo Sierra. We've got some insurgents killing orphans, and they've got some nerve toxin and a nuke and a random flashback level in which JFK and Castro do get out on the moon. Righteous Slaughter 7. Copy that, Red Leader. Call in the airstrike. Righteous Slaughter 7. The realistic art of contemporary killing. How do you kill? Rated PG. Pretty much the same as the last game. At Fly US, your business is important to us. That's why we treat you like shit. We know you have a choice when choosing an airline. Awful, dreadful, or terrible. And we promise you, we're striving to be awful. Fly US. Sit back, relax, and shut up. This one's called Purgatory Road. 
During August 2018, my friends and I took a road trip from New York to Rhode Island. None of us had been to Rhode Island before, so we were excited about the drive, especially because we'd rented a Mustang convertible for it. There we go. We left a little later than expected. It was about 10.30 p.m., and since it was a busy Friday night, we decided to punch our destination into Waze traffic app to beat the traffic. Why the fuck would you use Waze ever? I have had Waze take me on a fucking ferry, like the boat. I've had them take me up a hill to go around Mulholland Drive. Fuck Waze. Anyway, eventually we started losing steam, so my friend in the back seat fell asleep. And I just kept driving along quietly when my friend in the passenger seat told me to exit the freeway to take a side road. At first, driving on the unlit, winding back roads was relaxing. But then when the wind picked up and it got increasingly foggy, I was scared. Uh, no, never mind. I was a little on edge. I thought about pulling over to put the top up, but we decided against it since there were no cars in sight. Heavy rain was projected for the entire weekend, so I wanted to get the most out of the convertible. You're a fucking idiot fucking simpleton. So I kept going along as normal, if not a little too fast, to get back to the main road as quickly as possible when something shifted. I don't know how to explain it other than it was an unsettling, exposed feeling. I remember pulling my sweater over my legs to cover up. Then my friend up front told me to look at the street sign in the distance and it read purgatory. We woke up our friend in the back seat, who sort of scoffed. There is a street on a sidebar. There's a street in Lake Havasu that I also thought had a disturbing name, and that is Broom Rape Lane. You can look it up. Seconds later, we went around a bend where a large red cross was installed on the side of the road with nothing else in sight. We just shrugged it off as creepy coincidence. By then, we were kind of joking about and indulging in the spookiness, but around the next bend, a big truck came hurtling down the one-lane road, aimed straight at us. Luckily, my impulse was to swerve to the side. Otherwise, it probably would have resulted in a head-on collision. What the fuck other impulse would you have? Gun it and go for it? Like, try to play chicken with the big rig? My friend tried to get his license plate number, but he sped off, and while my other friend found the quickest route away from this particular road. We didn't really discuss what happened afterwards because we were too creeped out, and we haven't talked about it since. What, you got a car accident scared, you fucking pussy? While writing this... Jesus Christ. Uh, while writing this story, I decided to look it up, and I spent an hour trying to retrace our route and found a little road. It was indeed named Purgatory, and though we didn't notice at the time, Google Maps revealed that Purgatory Road was situated next to an old graveyard, so I was curious about the road. I researched it further and discovered that two teen girls died here in 2011 in an accident on their way to visit the grave of Rhode Island's infamous vampire, Mercy Brown, who died in 1892. Apparently, they decided to go for a drive down this dark, windy road because they thought that it looked spooky. On that journey to the top, you probably had to make a few sacrifices, including long-term friendships. But in Los Santos, perception is everything, and anything can be bought. You need to make a splash at social occasions and fill your fancy new house with tons of friends. If it's a glamorous occasion, we'll provide models and movie stars. If it's a business function, we'll bring along oligarchs and senior executives. Perhaps you want something a little funkier. We've got Mirror Park hipsters for hire so you can slip on your skinny jeans and show your alternative side. People of different ethnicities and sexual preferences will mingle and make you look good instead of the desperate, close-minded guy you are. Call Appropriate Associates today. Jesus Christ, if that were a real company, that would be fucking useful. Mm. Mm-mm. If only. Fuck. 
shit, burgers. All right, so uh, this one's called The Watery Grave. I didn't grow up believing in ghosts. Then one morning when I was 16, when my friend's mom picked this up for carpool, I mentioned that I was really creeped out by this bathroom under the stairs in my house and that nobody ever used it. Couldn't exactly define why I felt this way. I just found it weird. The house I grew up in was an old Victorian home in the eight, built in the 1800s, so weirdness was kind of part of the package. Hearing this reminded my friend of her own creepy bathroom association. She told me that when she lived in the German countryside for a year, there was a little section of the home that nobody used, except for her middle sister. She was about nine years old at the time. During this period, her sister would wake up with bloodshot eyes, sometimes bruises, and feel totally exhausted. They did everything to investigate what was going on, including sleeping in the room and working with a child psychologist and a school counselor. My friend doesn't remember much from that time period other than her sister was disturbed by something uh, the year that they lived there. She mentioned that she and her other sister, the oldest, also hated using that bathroom because they would feel off and find thick black hair stuck in the drain, even though each of them had fine blonde hair. At this point in the story, my friend's mom abruptly stopped the car, jerked her head around and said, that's where the woman who once lived there killed herself. She drowned herself in the bathtub. Her mom was clearly shaken. She said part of the reason why they moved was because something felt off in the house. Uh, okay. We all care about the environment, some more than others, especially those of us on the West Coast. But places thousands of miles away have water that is our birthright. We're San Andreas Water and Power. Without our tireless efforts to keep the water and subsidies flowing, San Andreas could dry up like a woman in her 50s. No green lawns, no swimming pools, no lush golf courses in the desert. Sure, you may have to pay the piper sometime, but let's all work together to make sure it's not just yet. San Andreas Water and Power. This next one's called The Witch Bottle by Spooky Kara. Oh, that's the compilation book, and this is a story called Was It Rejection by Katie Codudil. A few years ago, I was getting ready to move from Cleveland, Ohio, south of Columbus. A week before my move, I went out of town with a friend. We stayed for a weekend and drove back the following Monday. The drive was long, and we were both hungover, and all I could envision was getting to my own car, inhaling some fries, and sprawling out of my couch. Plus, my roommate had already moved out, so when I got home, it was just going to be me and my pussy, Harley. I was ready. That would be her cat, I imagine. <laughs> okay, fucking A. So sure enough, my friend dropped me off at my car that Monday evening. I drove down the street to Mickey D's for some fries and a shake. And then finally, finally, home. So sure enough, my friend dropped me off at my car that Monday evening. Oh, sorry. When I opened the front door, Harley was right there waiting, like she usually does when she hears my key in the lock. But as I walked in that night, she was crying, making this horrific noise she doesn't normally make. Normally when I get home, she chirps a bit, but this was a mewling that sounded painful. I knew something was up. Of course I asked her, what's wrong, bitch? And then looked around. That's when I noticed the TV in the living room was gone. I immediately ran up the steps to my bedroom and that TV was gone too. I ran back down the stairs, called my roommate, asking if she'd decided to borrow the TVs for the weekend, which I knew was unlikely, but I was also trying to be optimistic. Of course, she said, nay, um, hmm. because obviously somebody had broken in. She said she'd, she'd come over. Hmm. 
I called another friend who helped watch Harley while I was gone. He, too, said that there had been TVs there all weekend, but he hadn't been there since Sunday night. At that point, I went outside sweating, realizing that I might not be alone in that house. I was afraid to go near the basement or my roommate's empty room, so I called the cops. I called my landlord. Everybody converged on the house at once, and it was only when the police were there that I went into the backyard and discovered that our kitchen window had been expertly removed. The window was propped against our recycling bin, which was on its side. The police asked me if I had any idea who would want my televisions and the other objects that we discovered were missing. Although the TVs were the most glaring ones, I couldn't think of anybody. My landlord kept asking if I had any exes that I'd pissed off, which I thought was weird and insisted that there wasn't an ex, much less an angry one. He asked at one point, not even a dude you rejected at the bar, to which I asked how a guy I rejected would know where I lived. Wow, what the fuck? That's shitty. That shit I... That shit actually happens. That's upsetting. With all the paperwork filed, the police said the detective would come by in the morning to fingerprint the window. The detective is running fingerprints? Yikes. Short-staffed, I see, in some other areas of the house. They advised me not to stay in the house that night, given that sometimes repeat offenders will come back. They also told my landlord not to touch the window, but he could board the window opening with plywood temporarily. The police said everything in the backyard needed to stay exactly as it was. I asked if my landlord wanted me to stay while he boarded up the window. He said no. He told me to go stay with my roommate for the night. I did. I slept, but I was unsettled. So the next morning, I met the detective at the house. When we got to the backyard, the whole scene had been rearranged. The recycling bin had been moved across the yard. The window was flipped. Items that had been scattered from our kitchen in the backyard were thrown away. And I told the detective, who kind of shrugged it off. So then he took fingerprints from the window as well as some of the furniture in the house. Everything had either been wiped down or touched by somebody wearing gloves. He couldn't get any evidence from anything in the house or what was left in the backyard. After I left, I called the police department once again, as I was still concerned that the scene had been rearranged. The police chief ended up on the phone with me, and he told me to never be at the house alone. It seemed somebody might not be done with me since I was moving away. It was easy enough. A friend with a pit bull sat with me the rest of the week while I packed. Harley and I stayed with my old roommate every night, and I got a tattoo and had a going-away party, and I left that fucking house behind. While I was driving to Columbus, though, I couldn't stop thinking about the break-in and the fact that somebody had come back. It had been so clean. No broken windows, no broken locks, nothing. And then I remembered somehow that just after we moved into the house a year before, my roommate and I had run into our landlord while we were, while we were out. Ooh, no. We had said hi and moved on, but he kept texting me trying to get us to come to a different bar with him. We never met up with him that night and never saw him out again. He would be the only person I rejected who also knew where I lived. Ugh. Hi, I'm Sue Murray, and I want to be your next governor. I know how to lead from the front. I used to be a school teacher. I know what's best for San Andreas. Many of our leaders aren't doing their homework or studying like they should. You're not living up to your full potential. I know how to use third grade academic terms and talk down to a room of hyperactive, immature morons to get what I want. I can get things done. I'll make sure the 1% looks after the rest of us like they should. That you get what you deserve from people that work hard. Vote for me for governor. Vote for my dick for governor. This next one's called The Basement Window by Catherine. First of all, I'm not reading your fucking love letter to the fucking editor. I grew up in a remote northeastern town in the province of Quebec. 
which is in Snow, Mexico, for those of my American listeners and other countries. After my parents separated, my mom moved my siblings and I into an older house on a... Are you a fucking mouth-breathing idiot? She has cul-de-sac spelled C-U-L-D-E-S-A-C-K. You're dragging your knuckles on the ground in a way that's going to make me fucking can the story before I read it. Cul-de-sac street. Cul-de-sac. Fucking idiot. The neighborhood was, for the most part, a decent place to raise kids and teens. Sure it was. However, the area experienced high volume of break-ins in the recent years before we bought the house. Previous owners installed locking metal braces on the basement windows to prevent intruders from entering. Our next-door neighbor had placed a huge spotlight on a pole in the backyard that lit our yard as well. Stuff was foreign to us in our hometown because it's a place where people were stupid and rarely locked their shit. These precautions were unusual practices to us and seemed excessive. My mom had a six-foot wood fence built around one side of the house and enclosed the basement windows. This was done out of not out of fear of trespassers, but added privacy and to define borders of the property. When I was 14, I was the oldest kid, and this meant I got dibs on the basement bedroom. I was happy for the privacy, freedom to blast music, and access to my own shitter. But the basement creeped me out. It's an old-fashioned cellar with a loud furnace, a spiral staircase, and a floor-to-ceiling wall of mirrors in the TV room. It was dark, and the furnace made strange noises at night. And I was very far away from the rest of my family where they slept. The window... In my room, basically, it was a half window because the surrounding area had been dug out and an aluminum window well installed, and I wasn't too keen on the darkness of the creepy basement, so I usually slept with the curtains open. My neighbor's spotlight partly shone in my room, creating a sort of nightlight. My bed directly faced the window, but I felt comfortable not closing my curtains since my window was enclosed by wood fence. You're a dipshit. Uh, one night, I was in my bed, nodding off, not awake, but not asleep, and for some reason, I opened my eyes and looked to the window, and I could see something in the area where the window well met the grass, the top half of the window, that was unobstructed. I didn't have my glasses on, so I couldn't see very well, and the light shining in my room, making it harder to see outside. Initially, I thought it was an object that had blown up against the window, like a soccer ball or a decapitated head. Groggy and not quite awake, I sat up in bed to get a better look, and the object started to resemble a face. It was then that I realized it was a man's face. And the face slowly turned and followed my movements as I shifted from side to side in my bed. He was completely expressionless, just staring at me. I froze. There was someone outside, laying belly down on the grass and looking at me from the small exposed top half of the window. A moment of being frozen later, I reacted and one giant leap hopped out of my bed and ran upstairs. Uh, I went to my mom's room, got in her bed, thoroughly freaked out, but also confused at what I'd just seen. She woke up and asked me what I was doing, and I told her that I saw a face in my window. She got up. Looked through her bedroom window, down, couldn't see anything, and she was pretty dismissive. She didn't know if what I had seen was real, and there was no sign of anybody. Also, it was dark, and I didn't have my glasses on, so it was a possibility that I was mistaken. Yeah, lame. Nice effort, douche. Uh, okay, this one's called Need a Ride by Nikki. Do I need a ride? Yes. It was my first job out of college. I moved from a big city to rural, coastal Louisiana to work for a newspaper. I'm talking an hour and a half south of New Orleans. An hour and a south. south. Hour and a half south? I don't even know where that would be. Deep in the swamp, alligators on the roads. Old people still speaking fucking French to each other. And the only way between towns was miles and miles of remote two-lane, abandoned highway, winding along the bayous. Late one night, I was coming back from an assignment extra tired. I worked hard at my job, slept poorly, and the stress was bone deep. 
I just wanted to get back to the office, finish my writing for the night, and go home. Bayou Sail Road would get me to my destination sooner, though I hated to take it at night. It wound in sharp corners through open, pitched black marsh. No shoulder, no streetlights, just a few skeletal trees and open, grassy water. Yes, I slowed down to a crawl to drive it. This was the end of the world, and no one was coming to get you if you made a mistake. Fuck. But when I took one of the hard, blind corners, I had to slam on my brakes because there was an older man in the road. He didn't even flinch when my, when my brights caught him in the spotlight. I wondered if he was drunk, and I worried about what I should do. There were no houses around here, and he might be in some kind of trouble. I sat there with my foot on the brake, waiting for him to say something. Some small, desperate tale, like, Thank God you came, I've been in an accident, or my car broke down, I need to ride to town. But he was as still and as quiet as I was, and we only stared blankly at each other, waiting for the other to make a move. You could just leave, you know, you're a small part, a small part of me said, you're a woman, you're alone, nobody would blame you. The only way past him on the narrow road would be to pass him so closely, he'd reach out and touch my car door, so I was nervous. I cracked my window and asked if he needed some help. He only looked at me. I started to feel a creeping panic. My body responded to the idea that something was wrong. Fuck this. Not now, not, the, not today. I'll call somebody. I told him finally and rolled my windows up firmly, checked the door locks and took off around him. He didn't waver from his spot in the road, even as I hit the gas and carefully dipped around him, crunching on the narrow gravel shoulder. One quick turn, and he disappeared from, be from behind me in the marsh. I was spooked, so I drove fast and didn't stop and waited until I finally saw the first lit-up signs of civilization, which was a gas station and a convenience store. To get out of my car or to call the cops in the presence of other people, the clerk listened silently while I reeled off my story on the phone to an officer who promised to drive down there and look for the man after taking my information. When finally hung up, she said, You were down there on Bayou Sale? Yes, I said. He was alone? No car? Yes. I have no idea how he got there. There was nothing. He asked you for a ride, she said? No. You offered to give him one? She said, uh, great. I thought now she thinks I'm some kind of an asshole. Uh, no, but good, she said, because that probably wasn't no man this time of night. Ooh, that made all the hair stand up on the back of my neck. The road, she said, was haunted by spirits who would often try to catch tourists, people who didn't know any better. And if you agreed to pick the spirit up, he could ask you for another favor. Usually, your soul, she said. I nodded gravely at the woman, but laughed hysterically to break myself, or to, uh, to myself when I finally got back into my car, still shaking a bit with adrenaline and fear. What a stupid thing to get taken in by a hitchhiking ghost was a classic kid's campfire story. I had more to fear from any living man than a dead one. When I still couldn't shake the creeps for the next couple of days, I called the cops back to see if they drove there, if they ever picked somebody up. Uh, I was sure he had just been some old drunk at this point. They drove the road several times, but the cops didn't see anybody. Or they just lied to you and didn't go, which is highly likely as well. It's the heartbreaking show of human struggle, love, redemption, and hot morons doing drugs in bikinis. Tragedy equals comedy if you give it enough time. Rehab Island. We put Darwinism into the ultimate struggle as people battle addictions and each other in this hit competitive sobriety show. We take people to the limit, push them over it, and run commercials in between. Alliances form. Get out! Get out of this hut! Loves are lost. I thought you loved me! I love the coke! I love cocaine! Hearts explode. And contestants flatline. <laughs> 
Rehab Island. Reality finally gets real on CNT. So I have a personal story about people on the side of the road. Spooky one, if you will. Uh, over the course of the summer, this most recent past summer, when I went on vacation, for those of you that have been listening that long, I uh, was leaving Duck Creek, Utah, in a car that was not mine, and said car broke down on the side of the road, which uh, I usually, when I travel, if you've seen my photography, I elect to take the scenic route, so I tend to avoid the main main thoroughfares, the main highways. I, you see the best shit on the back roads. I learned that when I was riding the motorcycle. And... Um, so a fucking car broke down. I stopped, take pictures of this lake. Car broke down. I was about 15 miles from the town I'd left from and about 60 from the city. So uh, this mountain road, it wasn't too well-traveled, but it still had some consistent traffic. Consistent, like every 20 minutes a car would come by or so. And uh, so I take pictures of the lake, get back to the car, fucker wouldn't start. And so uh, it was there. Actually, I don't know if you, you guys probably don't know what I look like, but I'm 6'2". Um, I have a pretty big beard. I think at the time I had all my hair, but I might have been bald, like shaved bald. I don't know, one of the two. But uh, traditionally, if I'm walking a dog, people tend to cross the street. And I learned on this night that people do not stop on mountain roads in the middle of the night for people that look like me. Finally, you can play video games without gameplay. Available on the iFruit phone, drone, and all overpriced tablets, it's Digifarm. All the mind-numbing tedium of an agrarian lifestyle combined with the soul-crushing loneliness of the internet in a game truly worth 99 cents. Digifarm. Finally, you're actually watching the grass grow under your feet digitally. I'm a tiny farmer. I click on buttons and watch plants grow. If I get there's always the farmer's daughter. It has an incredible sense of achievement. Buy sprites. Feel better about yourself. Do it again. Awesome. The Digi family of mobile games. It's a revolution in human interaction. It's a revolution in social. All right. This next one's called Family Forever by Priscilla Kumar. Mm. As a kid, I always loved being on the freeway. If we were on the road, it meant my family and I were going somewhere exciting or adventurous. Whether it was my uncle's country home in, oh God, Sacramento's exciting and interesting and adventurous? Oh God. Whether it was my uncle's country home in Sacramento, my uncle's uh, urban home in Chino State Penitentiary, or my other uncle's home in San Francisco overlooking the bay. The memories I have had with my family and friends, they've been pleasant, to say the least. Well, fucking good for you, Priscilla. Which is why I was always shocked when people wanted to visit my family. And I, in boring old Modesto. The town was boring, the fashion was stupid, and all my cool cousins lived on the other side of the highway. Then one day, everything in our family changed. In just under a minute, our entire lives would change forever as we knew them. Getting married at an early age and going back to my family's home country in the Fiji Islands was normal, if you can call it that. Uh, it was a normal thing for most Indian girls in the 90s, at least. It was common for an Indian girl to be set up with a compatible partner from her parents' hometown and then married off to the family. At the age of 10, I didn't realize how vile this practice would, would come to be in later years. However, back then, it was business as usual. One particular cousin of mine, Sue, had done just that. At the tender age of 17, she agreed to marry a young man around the same age that she'd never met before. Her lavish wedding took place in the Fiji Isles, and those family members that had 
more change in the bank than the rest of us attended the festivities overseas. My family's large, in the hundreds even, but when we got that phone call one blistery night in winter, I never truly realized how losing four family members in one night would impact us. One of them had just stepped out of a plane from the Fiji Islands and touched American soil that very day. He was to be our brother-in-law, and we would never meet him. The accident on 132, late Saturday night, was pure havoc. There, was a, there were body parts scattered across the perimeter of the highway, a famous freeway known for its curvy roads and unforgiving blind spots. We'll never know what caused Sue to slam the brakes on her new sports car. Later, we'd find that she might have been showing off for her new husband. Uh, parentheses, I get it, girl, I get it. And slam into two other vehicles, catapulting nearly three feet in the air before crashing down in a fiery crash and terminating the lives of seven fucking people. Jesus, including herself. Yikes. My uncle who answered the phone that night was the only brave soul who went to identify the body and the parts of his sister, her husband, their teenage daughter, Sue, and her new husband. He had never been the same since. That, mm, I'm sympathetic, man. That does fuck you up. Because of the severe nature of the situation, the faces of Sue and her parents had to be resurrected. Or, I mean, reconstructed, I think is what she's searching for. A request made by Sue's only brother had demanded that his parents and sisters have an open casket, proper Indian funeral. Jesus, what the fuck, man? Funeral homes have never creeped me out. As a matter of fact, I find comfort in sitting next to dead people. Reminds me of how lucky I am. You're, you're a fucking moron. You have to be next to a dead body to realize that? As a sat in the pew, not yet quite ready to approach the three caskets, casket baskets that sat woefully in front of me, I had to mute out the anguished screams of the elders beside me. All right, English is the second language. I'm trying my best here. Indian weddings and funerals go hand in hand. The cries of the women are ungodly. Another brave, is brave the right word, family member swung past me holding a video camera. I couldn't believe it. Why were they taping this shit? To show other family members who couldn't attend, I was later told, but I didn't get it. The fact that a VHS tape still exists bothers me to this day. I wonder where that lost tape could be. You can find that on motherless.com or facesofdeath.com. The fourth casket, you ask? The one with Sue's husband's body? Well, his family blames Sue for the young son's untimely death and forbid his body to reside next to her for eternity. Ha! His body, after the investigation, was hauled back to Fiji for private ceremonies. I still, to this day, never knew his name. I couldn't help but think that my cousin had just gotten married, flew back to the United States on her own, waited for her husband for months to arrive, and when she did, she chose for my family to meet him first. Sue was beautiful, but as a cadaver, they made her into a human doll. Her face was polished to perfection, full of feature filler that made her look ravishing and glowing. Her lips were blood red, and her hands, which looked awfully fake, had Lee press-on nails with tiny specks of glitter. She looked terrifyingly beautiful. Her parents that lay beside her were also primed for viewing. My uncle was missing his legs, and I couldn't help but think how hollow he looked. He was so full of life when I last saw him, and now he just lay there in a casket bare, devoid of most of his limbs. Yikes. Becoming this drying carcass waiting to be doted on by bleak mourners. My aunt's face was full of wrinkles and cracks, areas where the makeup had settled and begun to uh, des desiccate. Uh, the cameraman stoically zoomed past me and walked uh, right up to make a pass at the casket skin, saying my final goodbyes to the sweet family. I saw him. The dead don't really scare me. I fear the living far more. 
What I did mention about Sue was that the clothes she had requested was the clothes she had requested to be buried in. It was her wedding clothes. And if you know anything about Indian weddings, we go all out. Back then, the clothes weren't Sabiyashi style by no means. I don't know what that means, but all the glittered, all that glittered is gold. And Sue was glowing from inside her casket. Perhaps it was from all the wedding jewelry that they placed around her face. Uh, I had missed Sue's Indian wedding in Fiji, but now for the last time, I got to see her as an Indian bride. The problem isn't that my family died and went to heaven. Oh, my God. The problem is that they never left their home. Shortly after the funeral, when the house had settled and the guests began trickling in a little more slowly and the nights got darker, the three of them began showing their presence slowly throughout the house. One day, I cornered Sue's brother, more out of a morbid curiosity than anything else, to ask him why there were so many priests being brought into the home lately. He told me that the whispers and the sounds of people talking and the footsteps didn't stop. He'd walk past Sue's room in which the doors would remain closed, and he would hear the bed creaking, the doors creaking, the sound of footsteps descending in the room. When I asked him if it scared him, he replied that he was used to his sister getting ready for every morning before she went to work. He found comfort knowing she was still around. The priests were brought in because Sue's brother's wife was there, and that was the one that it affected the most, it seemed. She would wake up, uh, lash marks on her face, the feeling of somebody lying in bed next to her when nobody was home, and the feeling of always being watched. I feel like somebody's watching me. Sue never liked her brother's wife. Huh. Her brother was divorced within the year, and Sue's brother moved out of the house shortly after. The rumors then began circulating. Family members came out of hiding. The stories came from different family members, those that lived in Sue's house, those that stayed the night, those visiting from overseas, and those that rented rooms in the large home. Now too big for just two people. Over the years, our ears were filled with tormenting recounts of Sue making sure her presence was known. Of course, nobody physically saw them. And you listen here to me, mother bitch? You want to live in my house? I'll fuck you up. But they were there, next to their shadows when they walked, in the television reflection when it switched off, in the rearview mirror when they least expected it, that brief reflection as they scurried past the sliding door, daring not to look to see who was following them that night. No one in our family could explain it, and some of them stopped talking about it years ago. Then, there are those VHS tapes. It was the whispers that would eventually drive this family to sell their home and move out of the state. The husband's, the, or the hushed voice next to them while they tried to sleep. The whispers that would come late at night when the other wasn't home, their partner. The whispers you would hear inside of Sue's closed room, with her, inside of cl- Sue's room with the door closed. Jump off the bridge, I tell you. I suppose the saying is true. Family is forever. Yee. That was a good one. That one, uh, had it been written a little better, I would have been a bit more stoked about it, but Jezebel.com, you have some fucking winners. Nicely, nicely done. I, uh, I enjoy those selections so far. Oof, man. All right, this one's called Bearing Witness by Joner, and I will be right back with Bearing Witness by Joner after this fucking fake-ass ad by a fake-ass company. 
Are you still stuck on 4G? Wiz Wireless is the only network offering incredible 9G technology. Yes, that's the ninth generation featuring the new drone. It's significantly better than the iFruit phone. How do we know that? Because we blatantly ripped off their design and improved a couple of irrelevant features. 9G, discover your future. You can't be the best if you aren't doing eight things at once on a tiny screen. The drone from Wiz wireless together we're making your life nine times better that's the promise of the ninth generation bearing witness by Joner. and now that i've told my friend's stories i'll tell mine which happened this year i've always had prophetic dreams but i take them with a grain of salt because i know how confirmation bias works and how you can believe anything if you really want to but they've always been very vivid and come about when i'm in a time of emotional upheaval, or when there's a death in the family. Earlier this year, I was pretty pregnant. Oh, my God. How the fuck are you pretty pregnant? Either you is or you isn't. Uh, I learned about baby Joner in a dream and confirmed with first response. Well, what? Are you fucking simple? You, you had no idea that there could be a fucking baby. I think I've heard... I've seen one of your movies before, weren't you in the Bible? For fuck's sake. And my second trimester dreams were insane. Mostly positive, but just really real. Fuck you. That said, my dreams were mostly positive, and this is one that definitely was not. Oh, and then she would like me to give a fucking trigger warning. Self-harm. Uh... Is that an instruction? Am I supposed to harm myself? It doesn't... Oh, my God. Fuck you, bitch. I woke up at 3 one morning this March feeling terrified. Everything was just wrong. I had a dream that I was 19, living in my mom's house. This was a difficult year for both of us, and we weren't getting along well. My abusive stepfather had made good on his promise to poison everything and everyone on, on his path if he was ousted. My mom was recovering from the divorce and being shunned by friends and family for daring to get rid of the asshole. And I was still pretty angry about the fact that it took her 14 years to do it. We were both sad and angry and not dealing with it very well. But one thing we did every night without fail is that I would go up the steps to her bedroom on the top floor, stand in her doorway and chat with her for a bit about where I was going to go that night. What had happened at work, the safe kind of small talk we were capable of having. I did that until I moved out and moved away a year later. Uh, at 15? Fuck you, Joners. In the dream, I was at the top of the stairs chatting with my mom while she sat on the bed, and I felt something coming out of the darkness behind me. I turned around and screamed because a figure was slowly coming up the stairs, becoming more apparent the closer it became out of the dark, and it was my mother. But she was emaciated, gray, wrong, like she was rotting. She was only wearing underwear, and her face looked so evil and angry I knew it wasn't her. But some replicant of her that was there to do harm. I backed away from the door and told my mom, fear not for I am with you. But there was an evil version of her coming up the stairs towards us. My mom nodded and got very serious. Okay, she said. I need you not to look at it or listen to it. Can you do that? She kept repeating her instructions, and the creature got closer and closer to me. It smelled bad. I, it hated me, but it but it hated her more. I don't know how to describe the overwhelming strength of how bad this thing was. It was just straight from hell. 
like every bad thing ever had been combined to create it. It cornered me in the room and began to speak, and though its voice made no sound, I knew what it was saying. It repeated again and again and again to kill my mother, and she was worthless, and that I hated her, and so did everyone else. So, do her a favor and kill her. It repeated itself so many times, backing me into a wall, its hands balled into fists like it was going to punch me in the, in the dick or in the ovaries. My mother kept calmly telling me not to look at it. Don't listen to it. Don't look. Okay. I woke up from that dream shaking. I couldn't go back to sleep. I heaved my fat ass out of bed and went downstairs so I wouldn't wake my husband called my mom. It was 3.20 a.m. by now and told her I was sorry for waking her up, but that I'd had an awful dream. I cried and described the whole thing to her. She was quiet for a bit and said, okay, well, all right, I'm going to tell you something, but only if you're okay. Oh, confess your drug addiction, Mom. She was awake because she just had her own scary dream. In her dream, she was in her bedroom, searching around in the dark, and there was a small lamp on some a small lamp on somewhere in the room, and she had to get to it. Had to cover it up with something or turn it off somehow because something was coming up the stairs to get her, and she knew if she left the lamp on, it would be able to see her in the light. So in the dream, she tried to stay calm, but was more terrified than she'd ever been. And when she woke up. There was what she describes as an attack on her, something telling her over and over again just to get it over with and kill herself, that nobody cared, and that she was worthless. Just get it over with. She sat in the dark for a while, waiting for it to pass, and she knew it was something from the outside, not anything from within, speaking to her. To this day, she says that that it was an assailant when we talk about this. She has never had thoughts of self-harm before and never since, and when the feelings finally began to drift away from her, her phone rang and it was me. My mom is okay. She saw a therapist immediately, discussed the scary thoughts, and we both agree that something came for her on that night. Some kind of dream magic. It lit the bat signal in my brain so I could bear witness and help. It was the most terrifying thing that has ever happened to me, but my mom only recently told me that the difficult year I described, the one in my dream, when I was 19, oh, when she was 19, and my stepfather finally moved out, she'd received a card in the mail. Happy birthday, it said, and though the handwriting she didn't recognize... Do us all a favor and just kill yourself. She hadn't thought about it for years, and she handed it over to the police immediately. Her birthday's in March. It was about a week after we had our tandem dreaming experience. (sighs) Well, I suppose that is kind of scary. Kind of. Coming for the Exorbio 720 gaming system. Some video games are set in hell, others in post-apocalyptic wastelands. Now, there's a shooter set in the most culturally terrifying place in the world. The South. I'm gonna have some fun with you, boy. Pride, not prejudice. Commit farmyard sodomy. Make drugs. Drink grain alcohol and drive at high speed. Mow down commies. Eat pigs and foreigners. Save the South against liberals, land prospectors, and out homosexuals in a place that's hot as the sun and swarming with disease-carrying insects. Pride, not prejudice. The shooter we've all been waiting for. Only for the Exorbio 720 gaming system. You know, whether or not I agree with that is one thing, but that does sound like a fucking fantastic game. And on that note, thank you all very much for tuning back in. To all repeat listeners, I genuinely appreciate you guys spreading the word and continuing to be loyal because I can constantly see my ratings going up every week. Uh, It's all because of you guys, and I appreciate it. I've actually cracked the top 100 in several different genres, and that is because of you and what does that mean? Nothing other than I'm grateful, and I appreciate you guys listening because it it, uh, strokes my Napoleon-sized ego, and someone needs to do it. It's not going to stroke itself. 
Okay, and on uh, the subject of stroking things, let's talk about the last episode and who is the most influential of them all. Hmm, okay, so the last episode, last episode, the number one city with the most listeners. Looks like I'm the most influential. Los Angeles, California, number one. Immediately followed once again in the top ten, Dallas, Texas. Charlotte, North Carolina. Fort Worth, Texas. Texas, you guys have been consistent listeners, and I genuinely appreciate each and every one of you. Appreciate all you other listeners, too, but I've had a surprisingly consistent and large following in Texas almost since the beginning, and you guys have stuck with it, so thank you. Brockton, Massachusetts. Dublin, Ohio. Kansas City, Missouri. Woe Burn, Massachusetts. Tulsa, Oklahoma. Nashville, Tennessee. Eli, that better be you. Uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Chicago, Illinois. Portland, Oregon, North Vancouver, British Columbia, Houston, Texas, Jackson, Tennessee, and Brooklyn, New York. Thank you very much. I appreciate you guys. Um, I know that these episodes seem to be the most sought-after episodes that I do, and that's the com- compendium stories, the compilation stories, so I'll probably continue to do some of these for the Halloween season. Um, if you have any special requests, as always, please don't hesitate to make them. If you have complaints, Questions, comments, concerns, I can be reached at springheeledjack at anthologyofhorror.com. Yes, I do have a fancy corporate email address now. That is springheeledjack at anthologyofhorror.com. Please shoot me an email. Um, if, I, if it takes a while for me to get back to you, I promise you I'm not ignoring you. I just, uh, I've, I work graveyard shifts, so it's not anything personal. I'm just fucking exhausted all the time. And half the time I can't even stay awake while I sit on the toilet. So, uh, me not responding to an email, I promise is nothing personal. I will get back to you the second that I read it, but it may take me a while to get there. Um, what else, what else, what else? Uh, please be sure to check out the show's website, anthologyofhorror.com on which you can find the link for our Patreon, which I'm doing a thing on Patreon. If you want to have a specific episode covered, as long as it's within the vein of this podcast, you can request so request said episode or request a certain type of subgenre be covered on Patreon. Um, haven't really worked out the finer details of all that yet because I don't know how it works, but you can find the Patreon either by searching on Patreon or going to anthologyofhorror.com. And also, um, I have found, I've crunched some numbers and if each one of you guys donated a dollar to the Patreon, uh, every month, weekly either way four bucks a month a dollar a month let's say four bucks a month for the sake of argument i could in essence quit my job and do this full time which was never the plan but it could be a feasible possibility so if you guys like this show enough and you want me to see want to see me take to the next level then i would encourage you to start trying to help me and others achieve that goal but if not i don't think any less of you and on that note I appreciate you guys. Thank you once again. Look forward to the next episode. And until then, doth thou stay spooky.